folks, uh, welcome to episode eight of the Brief Encounter podcast with me, Johnny Boyle. Um, on this episode, I'm speaking to Irish singer uh, Mark Geary. Uh, I've known Mark for quite some time um, and uh, we would have toured America and Australia with the Frames many moons ago. And on this particular episode, uh, we talk about um, the problems about releasing albums during the COVID-19 crisis, as well as staying uh, positive and creative. And we also discuss uh, the devaluing of music uh, through streaming. Um, And we talk about some of Mark's contributions to some movie soundtracks and attending festivals such as the Sundance Festival. He does a pretty mean Christopher Walken impression as well, which you'll probably get a little taste of. And we also talk about the struggles of growing up in the 80s and trying to survive the school system, as well as uh, Mark's experiences living in New York in the early 90s and kind of building up his profile in places like Chenet and the Mercury Lounge and Arlene's Grocery and the Bowery Ballroom, all venues I'm very familiar with. Um, and we kind of finish off talking about some of our favourite movies and series that we've been watching uh, during um, the lockdown and the COVID-19 crisis. So I hope you like this episode. I, I'd like to thank everybody who's uh, listened so far. I've just reached over 2,000 downloads, so I'm super happy about that. So if you like what you hear, uh, give me a follow on uh, Instagram um, and send me some feedback to briefencounterpodcast at gmail.com. So thanks again for listening, guys, and I hope you like this. Talk to you soon. How's your COVID going? Um, uh, days and weeks can be great, and uh, and uh, you know if I'm if I'm online or I'm on Twitter or I'm on, you know, you can find yourself uh, kind of going into kind of rabbit holes of of conspiracy and despair and whatever. So I yeah, I've kind of pulled back a little bit from all of it, and I've tried to. Um, you know, day at a time. It's, it's funny, actually, you mentioned social media because I was talking to Dave Hingerty about this and how I think I just remember Facebook turning into this Donald Trump. Just every tread was Donald Trump yeah. when he got elected, and and then you've had the Me Too movement and you've had the Black Lives Matter, yeah. and a lot of social media is being kind of politicised now as well. And yeah. it's, I understand these are very pressing matters, and social media is great for reaching the masses, but. It's all gotten very serious, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Where what happened to the crack? I know, I know. <laughs> oh and, and, and 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 you know when I, when it, when it first started, um, you know, as as we know, like all, all the gigs, all the gigs were gone. I had tours booked. Um, it was it was it was great. I had a I had a a full summer of of travel and and whatever. So all that kind of goes away, and and um, I kind of. You know, you know where we are in the in, in the cottage or whatever. So I just, you know, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I'm that I'm here in quiet and and I kind of embrace that. Yeah, I just, you know, started baking and started, um, you know, finding bulbs and and down and going down to to Aldi and Lidl and you know, getting shit and bringing it back and planting and yeah. It just felt it felt absolutely right. Also, um, myself and Ruth, Ruth Omani, were I was in the middle of um, the beginnings of um, 
it start, it started out that I that I I just had some ideas for songs or I had an inkling that maybe songs might be coming and and the way I the way I tend to work is that a gun gets put to my head that I commit to and then I start writing in in earnest you know so Ruth would come out and set up the piano or whatever and very quickly these kind of song ideas started to happen and actual songs and and I started writing so then it seemed evident that a that a, an album was going to happen and as soon as that happened then the 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 pandemic happened or whatever so I was still kind of lost in the in the in the writing and and that's that's kind of continued you know so will you try and get a record out for like later in the year next well, you year you see I don't, I I it's a, it's a it's a really weird situation i have a, a, quite a few friends who have released in this time and it it seems it seems really kind of tragic you know you, you spent two years kind of working on an album and i don't know what an album looks like to be released in the middle of this yeah you know yeah. i, I well, if you look at a band like the Fontaines, for example, who I yeah. think were number two in the Irish charts and yeah. number two in the British charts last yeah. week. Yeah. And that's great. It's Delighted impressive. for their success. It's really impressive. But they can't capitalise on that. No. So effectively, with all that success they've had in the charts, yeah. there's a good chance that they're not going to make much money. Do you know what I mean? Because almost, the touring and the merchandise certain. and yeah. all of that yeah. stuff that goes with it. Oh, you have the, you know, as they always say, new is the most used word in advertising. The only time the Irish Times uh, have a look at me is when I've here's the, the new a new record, something to talk about the your your chance of um, radio play, your chance of RTE or all of it, you know, um, is that when you have this new thing and what do you do with a new record? Like you know, we we go on tour, yeah, we, we go on the road to to kind of. To grab the the your audience, but also the hope that you have a, you're exposed to a, a new audience. You get to new places or whatever, and uh, so I'm in a I'm in a it was a kind of strange quandary. All I I'm just trying to just keep it in the moment and actually just work on the songs, but I don't know. I'm kind of precious. I've always been precious about the songs I write. So if if an album was to just kind of you know, there's a hundred million people who are, you know, taking pictures of pizzas and and they're they're poached they're poached egg. <laughs> so we have to rise above the squall of that just yeah. to begin with, just to go like, oh, is there a new album or is there a new kind of thing? So I I I don't know if I am ready to release an album in this. Mm. Now you know, there isn't going to be a gig till March at, at the earliest. So maybe I'm, I, my hand might be forced or whatever, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm just, I'm loving, I'm loving just being in the, in the writing, yeah. you know. Uh, Are you optimistic that gigs will go ahead in March? No. Yeah. The longer it goes <laughs> on, it seems like that prize is getting further and further away. I can't, uh, well, like I was saying to you, I, I mean, v vaccine, it has to be vaccine. Yeah. To do, to do, you know, it's it's lovely that there are kind of attempts being made and driving, driving gigs or whatever. But the sweaty, packed room and an audience and the and the and the banter and all of that, um, you know, I don't see that. And if it isn't that, then I I don't know if it's worthwhile. I mean, financially. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, but I, I, I don't see anything, you know, there, there apparently there's 14, 15 different institutes all hurtling towards, you know, phase two and three of, of a vaccine and whatever, which is, you know, incredible. Yeah. But I think, it, I think it, I, honestly, I think it, it, that people are, know they're safe. I couldn't in a clear conscience kind of ask people to come to a gig if I thought they were unsafe and for myself too, I have kids and, you know, um, the idea of me being unsafe and just, and that feeling in the room, you know. Yeah. Well, we all seem safe around people we know. I find there's a a certain, (laughs) I feel like Donald Sutherland at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, people you don't know, you're like, ah, you know, just keep your, keep your distance, you know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's worrying times because I do think as you, like, so many people, particularly for songwriters, have been trying to bring joy to people via Facebook, via Instagram Live yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, you'll never you'll never beat that sense of oneness, yeah. you know, you're yeah. going to get in, yeah. in a venue. But I have, um, I've kind of been astonished with the, the Facebook and Instagram Live stuff. Um, you suddenly get a, you get a real sense that, you know, in, in lockdown, you know, there is this larger debate about, okay, so, you know, we've all been consuming Netflix and HBO and whatever, and all the creative people that gave us this and all the albums and all the music or whatever, and all the books that I've been consuming as well. These are, these are all people that, um, their kind of careers or, or jobs have been kind of decimated. Yeah. So it's when that, tr- <laughs> when that trough of, of, of movies and books all kind of go and we've watched them all. Yeah what do we do then you know yeah like um, i do know someone who worked who did a movie for netflix and they were kind of saying come november next year yeah there's just going to be this huge void yeah of material but i'm sure they'll just buy in other classic movies and stuff yeah. like that but their own material is obviously stop production um it, it's a it's a funny thing not being allowed to play but I, obviously we're everybody is considering mm. public health and things like that sure. but yeah. you look at a venue like Whelan's that was supposed to open last week with a capacity of 450 and you're allowed 88 people now all seated tables are, and they're obviously going to extreme lengths to get back open again yeah. and try to put on gigs and but if you're a band or you're you know like how how can you survive playing to 88 people and also with a venue too or 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 or, or go a little bigger to go to <clears throat> go to a, a theater or whatever and and with social distancing whatever they're probably only making money when they're at capacity. Yeah. You know, because there's wages to be, you know, all of it, you know. Yeah. Um, it's what I what I did, what I did find just with the with the Facebook and the, and the Instagram live stuff. And I've, I've done quite a few of them. Well, just that level of, of kind of just gratitude from an audience. Mm. I, I, I was really, you know, because you, you do it and you're in total silence, you know, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people online. I'm, I'm, I'm responding to the comments. I'm, I'm saying hello. I'm saying hello to Italy. I'm saying hello to America and whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have, uh, an audience, you know, really, really fortunate, but it just struck me of just, you know, like everyone's just at home and this is a bit of solace and it's certainly solace for me as well but so when it when the when the 
when the show is over and you press, you know, end or post, you know, I'm 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 sitting in in total silence here. Yeah. And going like, well, what the hell was that? What yeah. was was that all right or was that you know? So that kind of interaction, the you know, I think people are really realizing that you know, um, uh, human human contact, you know. Yeah, it's just that it's been taken away from us. You know, you get out to your Tesco and you have your mask on, and just a level of fear. Or you know, you see some guy with no mask on, and and you know, he might as well be walking around with a, with a machine gun. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and the booze and the you know like the at home booze and stuff, and uh, you know it's really. Oh. You know, who, who are you tell? Listen, I'm you know, guilty. Yeah, I mean, I I took up a lot of running. I start walking, then I start running. I did a I did a fifty k in five days for a cancer foundation, nice. which I was really I wouldn't have got the opportunity to do that yeah. if I was working. Sure. So it was nice to be able to do that. There was a, a slight sense of well, a huge sense yeah. of achievement sure. to do something nice. But I kind of got got lazy after that because I hit the goal. Sure, and once the goal is done, you're like, right, yeah. I'm bored of that. What's yeah. next? Yeah, because I'm a drummer. So yeah. without guys like you, if yeah. I don't have someone to play with, sure. yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of at a yeah. loss because yeah. that's what turns me on, really. You well, know, even even <clears throat> even as I was writing, like the reason to get Ruth was to kind of inspire me to sort of to have another person in the room to go. Okay, so what do you have? Oh, that's nice. What's what's that? Oh, that's a great line. And you know, and then the and then the the creative kind of thing starts to starts to happen. You kind of vibing off people. Um, like I haven't, uh, I'm in Selbridge here, but I haven't left Selbridge since the beginning of March. I was in Switzerland mm. as the whole thing was happening. And it was literally, <clears throat> it was like some disaster movie where the, you know, the cliff is, is, is falling underneath me. And I was going from one gig to the next. And the last gig, there was a kind of a guarantee of X amount of money. So I did the gig and then got on the plane. And then I really haven't left. I'm yeah. I'm gone to Dublin. I haven't gone. There's a uh, we did a, a thing for the Marie Keating Foundation. Um, that was recorded in uh, in Rathholt, and um, you know a bunch of a bunch of cameras and and recorded really well or whatever. But that was the first time in five months that I had been around like our crew, uh, you know, sound sound guys and lighting or whatever I, I just hadn't done anything yeah um because like we were talking about like there's well what am i going to do in dublin like what's what's on offer i just walk around and boarded up places and just kind of depress me yeah know? it's the city it does just no vibrancy or yeah. you know we, we're missing yeah. the tourists we're missing <clears throat> sure. the restaurants and the bars and of course there's nothing going on it's kind of i'm trying to avoid the city because yeah. i just don't it's it's, it's like this parallel universe of this other Dublin or just idea of just kind of sitting in you know to feel grateful that we're sitting in a restaurant with plastic all around you you know I mean it's the buzz and the rattle of you know I I I, I bartended and I worked in restaurants and, and then I'm in clubs and you know so that bustle and it's and the, the human contact again it's it's it it all goes back to that that feeling of like this is great you know yeah <clears throat> when I'm on the road and and you know I'm in some new place um I go for a wander I find a little coffee shop do a little people watching go to a square order some nice you know yeah it's 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 all people it's all yeah. you know it all kind of feeds into 
being part of the human race and the, you know I think people are really you know really struggling with that with that I mean, look at the amount of kind of well let's have a party in the in the garden let's try you know just because people are just missing connection absolutely we, I've had it I've had people over I've had people over with their kids yeah. but, but this is the other thing that poses the question of well if the pubs aren't open mm. are people, there's more and more house parties going on yeah. so you know it's a double edged sword sure. do they open them do they because yeah. I actually think from some of the places I've been in that serve food if, if they police the pubs just the way they're doing it right now yeah. you know my local pub's doing a great job Yeah. so you know I, I don't see any reason but again they, you know, they don't want music. They don't want any. De- they don't want any music. They don't want people getting overexcited. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, <clears> some <throat> Elfler is over dancing in front of your table, or sure. <laughs> you sure, know, of course. Um, it's it's very strange. G- G- like Jim Bartley uh, is a friend of mine. Do you know Jim yeah. from uh, Fair City? Yeah. And you know he would drink in my local, and I've done a podcast with him. We'd often have a pint together, but. I saw him the other day, like, and I could see him when I came in. He kind of got a little bit rattled and the mask went up. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's 74 years of age. My, my mother's nearly 70. She's diabetic, heavy smoker. She's like, if I catch this, I'm dead. Yeah. So like when you think of that older generation who are just so super paranoid, my mum yeah. goes and does her shopping at seven in the morning, yeah. you know, for fear of coming into contact with anybody. So I think, Incredible. well, I, I'm not saying I can be blasé about it. I'm a bit more relaxed about it. Yeah. I'm not trying to freak myself out. Mm-hmm. But if I walked into a room full of people I didn't know, I'd be entirely yeah. rattled. Yeah. You know? Um, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. But on the upside, yes. I've been doing my research about you, Mark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you've been doing your homework. Well, yeah. actually, I was going to ask you, because we, we did, we did a, like, we toured America and Australia. <clears throat> we did, yeah. I've... I don't know what's wrong with me, but I've. We did, a, we did, we did, we did. We toured America, Australia, and Inishbofin. And Inishbofin. <laughs> yeah. I've great photographs of you on the beach in Inishbofin. Yeah. And I've been back there several times okay. since we went there. Um, and uh, I right. think the second time I went there, I was like, hang on, I've, I've been here before. <laughs> you know, but I, I do remember being in the States. I, I remember being in Australia, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I don't know. Is it, is it when you do so much touring that. that there's certain black spots where you just don't remember certain gigs or you don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember being out in Australia in Melbourne and uh, the day we arrived, uh, the drummer from Crowded House had hung himself in a park, which was just shocking. And he'd only been in Dublin a few weeks, uh, you know, and a guy I really loved. Yeah. But I remember we had a, what was the term, being Irished. Yes. Do you remember this? Just playing, um, go, doing a gig. <clears throat> I remember I remember Melbourne particularly... Uh, you know, almost coming back with a Ross Common accent, and and thinking like, wow, we could have we could have saved all that money and just played in Ross Common. Yeah. Um. And also there was like, I was when I when I was doing the I was doing the support for the frames, and uh, like tricolors been thrown up, and then when you actually got talking to them, they'd only been there a week. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't like some kind of celebration of of you know the Irish and and whatever. You know the, the, the you know third generation, and they'd never seen, you know Irish missing home, or and, and yeah. it was none of that. It no. was just, it was just yeah, Irish getting absolutely Irish, and and it happened in Boston. It was it was always the thing that, um, you know, when I went to New York, there was always the, uh, 
there was there was always the possibility of going and doing gigs in the Bronx and and in Queens or whatever, some Irish bar and and uh, you know they'd ask you to do loads of covers and and whatever. And my instinct or my intuition was that I I was kind of blessed, you know. They said you know necessity is the mother of invention, so. I didn't know those songs. I didn't know those cover songs. So I actually, I kind of, kind of cancelled myself out of those those gigs, yeah. those money gigs. So I never, I never did that kind of, um, you know, the guy in the corner kind of lashing away, no one listening, lashing away at, at, at doing the covers and Spansel Hill and Danny Boy or, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And uh, so the fact that I couldn't do them. I had to stay within the East Village and and kind of fight my fight with my own songs with other, you know, established kind of songwriters, um, which really stood to me. Yeah. So then when I, when I started to tour that bar in Chicago or San Francisco or like the more like the Irish kind of enclaves or whatever, they, they, they just weren't on my radar. You know, it was it was it was the obvious place to go to go to Schubert's, go to uh, Uncommon Ground in Chicago, or whatever. Go to those places. Yeah. Um, like a songwriter who happens to be Irish, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I I vividly remember um, um, Melbourne and and getting Irish. It just seemed it just seemed chaotic, and uh, they they kind of used us as a as a. An excuse to just go kind of mad. Just to get it. Oh, well, let's go there. There's going to be loads mad, of other Irish mad, people go mental. Know? Yeah. And yeah. it's this thing where you've about a quarter of the audience want to see, and the other three quarters are standing with their backs to you, all chatting away, having a great time. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. I've, but it's funny, I've seen it in Ireland. I've seen it at a Hosier gig down in the INEC. Oh, just yeah. People just, let's just go. Yeah. But we won't watch the gig. We'll just yeah. hang out. Well, I don't think it's even a conscious thing that we're going to like, we'll. We'll purposely go to that gig and not, but but the um, you know the excitement of just being with your mates and chatting and you know I mean my God we we can chat you know yeah <clears throat> so it's an event it's yeah. an event you know yeah it's an interesting one I remember I took the kids to uh, to Crow Park and and uh, to see Ed Sheeran or whatever. 80 fucking 5,000 people and and what what struck me was so here's here's absolutely absolutely the pinnacle of success here it is you know this sold out three nights or whatever and and it struck me that just you know not to be elitist or snobby or whatever but it's almost like when you get to that kind of level of people you know a vast majority of the people that you're playing to aren't really that into music that's a day out it, it's you, just you know, yeah, no, it's absolutely. A thing. It's a thing like they were all going having burgers and and whatever, and that's cool. But there's no difference to that than going to kind of, you know, Six Flags or whatever. It's yeah. just that it's that it's music at that kind of scale. Uh, yeah, it's 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 just a, an event or whatever. But but there was none of that. Like oh my god, he played that song or or no one's asking one. And what did he do? And what was the second song? What did he end with or whatever? Yeah. It's just it's it's entertainment. It's it's you know, you know that it's music and and whatever. And now the the, the kiddies up the front and go mental and whatever. I think I would have enjoyed the gig more had I been up there. Um, but just just pecu- peculiar you know, that like 
that's the level of kind of success that you're actually playing to a section of the community that really doesn't really give a shit that much about music. It's just yeah. just something they're you know vaguely vaguely familiar with. Oh, I like that song. I know that song. Or, there's nothing invest. There's no investing. The only investment is that you've you've dropped an, an incredibly expensive ticket price. Yeah. You know that's yeah. it. Well, I, I know people like that that aren't necessarily into music. So you know, some people said to me recently, "Oh, we tickets for Guns and Roses," and I know. They never go to gigs, right? You know, so again, it's it's it is that kind of thing. Well, I'll go to one gig a year. Oh, sure, and it'll be the big enormous dome yeah. band I loved from twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember uh, having a conversation with a taxi driver when we were driving. He, he he clocked the guitar. I was coming back from a gig in Dublin or whatever, and uh, a taxi driver, and he, in his eyes, he was kind of surprised that there was gigs that weren't in Crow Park. Mm. Let's just think about that. Yeah. So, so Vicar Street and and the Olympia, whatever. That wasn't were, on his radar at all. I would, would never. No, it would just would just be utterly baffled. It might be plays on, or it might be. He had no clue, and I, I said, "Well, well, like Whelan's is, you know, or Sugar Club or or Workman's Club, these kind of venues or whatever." Yeah. Just wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't occur to him. It would, he wouldn't know. or wouldn't venture out. And I have. I have brothers who, you know, out in the suburbs of Dublin, or whatever. The, the only time that they would come to gigs was, you know, the only time ever, ever that they actually were ever at gigs were, were my gigs. So had I not been a musician or whatever, that would never have occurred to him unless, you know, Rod yeah. Stewart is on in Lansdowne Road or something, you know. <laughs> Like there's nothing below that. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing exists. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Where would you get a ticket? Sure. Do you? You know. Like where would you go? You know. Yeah. That's the level. That's. Well, it's funny because like I remember as a kid, my old man taking me to see like Paul Brady in the Olympia, and I was mm. about ten. Yeah. You know, or step aside out in there. The Purty Loft or the Purty yeah. Kitchen, you know, and people like Freddie White in on Bail Booked. And I remember, and, and I was actually, even with things like bringing me to the theatre to see like Borstal Boy and yeah. Juno and the Paycock. Right. I mean, that just, it's so enriching for your life. Course. But nowadays it's, oh no, you can't have an under 18s gig because the bar, and the, close the fucking bar. Right. You know, like there should be more, there should be more, you know, smaller gigs this is the thing my kids would want to go and see One Direction that's the gigs they want to go and see or someone in the three arena I'd love yeah. to take them down the Workman's to see someone sure. or Whelan's or, yeah. and I don't think there's enough of that kind of Sunday gigs or under 18 shows magic, or magic yeah I do a Led Zeppelin tribute thing once a year we've been doing it in the Sugar Club for 10 years and I, you know um, um, I, I, you know, we, we do an under 18 show yeah and just to see all of these kids come in and, you know, they'd be all jumping up on the kit, the guitars after the yeah, gig. Right. And, but, you know, it, 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 I think that's really important. Yeah. You know, it is yeah. very important rather than, OK, my first gig is some, you know, massive stadium where I can't see anything. And yeah. or, or even just, you know, kids who are, are kind of watching the, the TikToks and, and YouTube or whatever. It's not that they're being necessarily interactive with the with the culture of it and or that you could play or you could do, you know, it's just, it's it's just consuming the product, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a guy on, on YouTube who, you know, is in some monster stadium or whatever, but you don't ever make the connection. I I think that's the whole ethos about punk or whatever. It was like, no, no, no. These are three chords. If we have a drummer who can play in time, that's the band. Yeah. yeah. And you do it. You can do it. You know, the kind of DIY kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or just you know like what's exposed to you 
you know, the level of um, creativity is coming from one 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 direction, ironically, yeah. you know, it's coming at you. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, like, no, 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 you, you, you get to contribute, I think is, you know, with BIM and, and whatever. I mean, this is, this is the whole point about. Yeah. I mean, students over 18, you know, um, are, are, are kind of uh, much more in tune with what's going on and they have their likes and their dislikes and their opinions. Whereas I teach a lot of kids, maybe 14, 15, and, okay. you know, I'm teaching them drums a couple of years and I'm like, so who's your favorite drummer? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Right. Who's your favorite band? Oh, yeah. I don't know. So th- th- that whole thing of having a favourite or a poster yeah. on your wall or sure. do you remember the patches on your denim sure. jacket or yeah. like that seems to be lost and, and, and now obviously Because there's just an abundance of you don't have to be invested in any of it it can be it can be found and consumed you don't really have, you don't even have to pay for it No You know No Well that's the other thing about Spotify It's funny we were talking about social media and you know obviously you know the how it can get politicized and stuff. And I remember having a conversation with a songwriter who lives in New York. You probably know, I'm sure you do. And really nice fella. But I was trying to argue the fact, and this was at two o'clock in the morning, I'm in bed with one eye open and I'm trying to explain that Spotify is killing your art. And and, and he was trying to make the point of, well, well, I'm, I'm reaching a wider audience. And that I says that's fine, but that doesn't put bums on seats. And yeah. if some guy in China is listening to your song, that's yeah. great. But how do you monetize that? How do yeah. you how do you keep, how do you pay for your next record? Yeah. And the argument I was having was everything we do is being devalued and mm. devalued, and can, until it will be eventually worth nothing. Yeah, you know, let's say even for me, like you've got rap in Ireland, mm-hmm. and now you've got the PPI trying to keep all that money. The labels want all that, right. and you've got the Attorney General. And you've got the Minister for Jobs and Enterprise siding with the labels, going, yeah, you, you guys should keep that money. Yeah. So if I hear a song I've played on, that's yeah. on the radio, yeah. or, you know, and I'm not going to receive anything for that. Some yeah. guy smoking a cigar sitting in his office, he's getting that money. And I just think, I think the whole industry needs to be looked at, mm. you know, and you think of Spotify and all of these guys, they've actually, because people haven't been working and people have been off, you know, and you've Amazon, Jeff Bezos, like tripling. I know. Uh, you know, know. And this isn't helping anybody. It's not helping anyone. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I know in France, I was reading yesterday as well that, you know, they were trying to get more Irish music on the radio. Saw that, yeah. But the funny thing is, 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 is uh, you know, what, there's no point if, if the PPI are going to keep your money and send it to the labels. Sure. And the other thing is the argument they make for the French, because the French play 40%, don't they? Mm-hmm. But they say because it has a kind of historical value because of the actual language. Yeah. So it's maintaining the actual language yeah. as well. Yeah. It's kind of obscene to think that as musicians, we don't have some kind of historical value, you know, as we, as every politician come St. Patrick's Day waxes lyrical about, you know, our great cultural, you know, achievements and, and giving to the world. And yet when it comes to the crunch, you know. Yeah. It's like, see you later. If there isn't a photo op in it for me, good luck to you. Good luck with your endeavor. You know, um, yeah, I, I, like, yeah, I just, I have my issues with all, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I mean, but look, you know, cinema is probably being devalued to a degree with streaming now because we've access to a billion movies. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, television now has, uh, is now the golden age of cinema, yeah. ironically. Well, that's where all the good writing is. Well, it's come back. Yeah. Where, where, where every actor worth his salt or her salt wanted to try to get to Hollywood because that's where the good stuff was. And now it's all, um, it's kind of changed again, you know. Um, God bless it, because I, I, 
it's one of the things that have kind of kept me sane. I've really, I've been really, I've been some serious numbers yeah. of, of shows have been consumed. <laughs> and a joy, and it's just a total joy, just kind of smart television. I've, I've really, uh, I've been loving it, you know. And what about, like, actually I was watching, I was looking at some of the trailers for uh, um, some of the soundtracks you did, Loggerheads. Yeah. And uh, Steel City. Uh-huh. Pretty intense movies. Yeah. I mean, Loggerheads is dealing with, what, adoption and that kind of thing. And Yeah, there's religion in there. And uh, Steel City is, is kind of a criminal case. And, and uh, I did this one um, called the, uh, the Sons of Perdition, which is all about uh, Scientology and the Latter-day Saints and whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I haven't, I, haven't, uh, I haven't been asked to do the rom-com just yet, you know. <laughs> Uh, which is okay. No, these were, these were great to do. Um, it changed, you know, I don't write 15 seconds of music. It would never occur to me that that 15 seconds would be enough to, you know, so as a songwriter, but, but suddenly you have this uh, incidental music, it's called, where you, you know, some kind of transition, some guy walking out of a door and this, whatever. And I remember the first one, Loggerheads, was the hardest one because I really was, was, was kind of making it up as I kind of went along and, and the um, the director uh, was was really was really kind of pushing me to have like almost um, a signature score for each of the characters gotcha you know in a subtle way you know um, so that was that was incredibly challenging and, and, and as I said you know maybe 35 40 minutes of, of, of music that isn't songs um and you kind of go, I don't know, strings? Do we trust? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do? And and then by the time I got to uh, Steel City, <clears throat> uh, myself and Carl Adlam, uh, uh, he produced all of the all of the soundtracks with me. Um, I, I I had really really become kind of comfortable, knew exactly. So you sit there and you serve the you serve the movie, you serve the the tension if you want some moog and uh, two part three part harmonies, reverb. Um, some uh, Steel City felt a bit more um, Americana, so I was using lots of high-strung kind of um, guitars and, and whatever. Like really, really becoming comfortable in yeah. the uh, way. You know, how do I do it? How do and I? You can go a bit more abstract as well. <clears throat> there's nothing not, but there's nothing yeah. but abstract. Yeah. I am not invested. Um, my lyrics have nothing to do with this uh, with this with this movie. I'm serving. It's all emotional. And and what's what what happened was that I can't watch a film without hearing that guy who's just made that decision. All right, he's he's put the low the low voice in there at the beginning of this shot, this long shot or whatever. So it's fascinating. And then I, of course I went back to to Hitchcock and and uh, uh, Hitchcock guy, um, the jazz guy. Oh, like, Bernard Herrmann. No. <coughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Was so, was that the kind of? I've, yeah, I'd be interested just to hear. Were you actually listening to key soundtracks to go? Well, I actually was yeah. because because I I got really spooked because this this the the, the first soundtrack I did came out of the blue. My uh, my manager, um, Gil uh, Holland, is a, a kind of a independent film producer so like executive guy so if somebody goes Gil I need a I need a gorilla but I need it now for this movie we're working on he was the guy that went out and and found it so so he would know lots of kind of filmmakers or whatever 
and and they're in they're in their own little cocoon where could take five six years for a movie to get kind of completed with no soundtrack and then it's got to go to you know film festivals or whatever so yeah. i was the i was the guy that would call in so i i um i was obsessed with i bought i just bought it again on vinyl i bought uh taxi driver so that kind of jazz soundtrack that herman had done um that scorsese went and looked for this guy because he was a fan of hitchcock you yeah. know so he won an oscar for that after he passed away sadly that's right and i don't think he ever got to hear the score with the full movie or that's something, right. something to that that's effect right. wasn't yeah. it yeah, yeah yeah just knocked his head but so I, I listened to that and then um i'm a huge fan of paris texas roy cooter uh, roy cooter stuff and then and then the really you know you, you have to you know you have to pay attention to the big epic you know um these sweeping scores these kind of like Cecil B. DeMille stuff like insane yeah. insane stuff so I I had a little uh, I had a little, little little kind of week of kind of homework of a kind of what to avoid and whatever you know yeah. and when you know when those strings did go on it just sounded terribly kind of cheesy and small C and whatever and uh, a lot of this you know all of those films that I did were were very kind of um kind of character driven so you know it just seemed evident that I would be messing with lots of moogs and synth and 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 kind of guitar really subtle stuff you know yeah, yeah. um to create this kind of mood or whatever and then and then when you know when I go to the premieres of those things just to hear holy shit you know there's in the, like monster speakers and and just to sit there and go like wow that's great it's really yeah, great. great it's really fabulous what was yeah. that experience like because I know you mentioned it before I think you went to Sundance you go a couple of times a few I did, times yeah. And yeah. I mean because I know it's a, such a big industry event I'm yeah. sure it's yeah. uh, unpleasant uh, at, at times yeah. you know what struck me most I mean just in the uh, the Sundance part of it or whatever you know like I'm such a movie fan that I had you said to me like here's 500 passes to get into every single movie you want to watch i'd i'd happily spend a week doing that and when i got there and realized that i was part of a movie that had to hustle because that's the real thing that's why you're there mm. so I, I i did gigs and then i remember sitting i thought i was about to watch a movie and i got a tap on the shoulder and said no we gotta go there's an interview or there's you know they're interviewing the director and the director wants you there just in case a question gets asked so you're there banging drums you're just you're there to hustle your yeah. kind of movie and uh i find that you know so as a movie fan going to sundance was was kind of was kind of awful because yeah. i got I, I got to see nothing yeah you know and um yeah the, 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 the just the scale of so you have like sundance and then you have you know you know something like you know half dance which is the indie version of Sundance. And of course, Sundance was the indie version of, of all the stuff that was happening in Hollywood. There's probably half dances now probably considered too corporate. And there's this other, you know, so you go to all of these, try, try and meet these guys who were, well, you know, we, we totally, they couldn't, they couldn't get arrested in Sundance. So they'd set up their own festival in another place. Yeah. And uh, that was considered cooler and, and whatever. So it was, it was just, 
intense kind of hustle for like four or five days and uh you know and just postering and just people running up and down the street just screaming about their movie uh running naked running you know like anything that just got some kind of buzz incredible yeah incredible yeah yeah. Yeah. and uh, i know your brother carl is an actor yeah i've seen a couple of couple of movies actually yeah you because i think one of the first you told me years ago that you did a movie with christopher walken Chris Walken. Yeah. More little, cowbell. Little man. <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. The Chris. Eternal. The Eternal. The Eternal. Yes, yes. Was that, was that fun to do? I think I would have enjoyed it more had I, you know, had a, had a kind of different head on me. I, you know, I, I, I'm a musician and, and I, <clears throat> I felt at any point I was just, someone was going to tap me on the shoulder and go like, come on, dude, really? You know, um, and I found like the read through and all of it. Like this is actors' bread and butter. You sit there, and <clears throat> I would have, <clears throat> I would have much preferred a couple of years later to do something like that. And and uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, Alison Elliot was there. Jared Harris, who was a friend of mine. Um, uh, Enjoyable? <clears throat> no, no. I, 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 I remember we were just kind of standing at catering, just kind of waiting, just eating, and and just kind of you know. And I had one line. I had this great one line. Um, isn't that the worst? Uh, something that's been dead for two thousand years wants to come back and rip your head off. Yeah, that was my line. <clears throat> and and someone said because I got a waiver uh, because I wasn't a, a member of SAG, um, <clears throat> the Studio Actors Guild, and and. Uh, they said, "Oh no, you'll, you'll you'll get more money because you have a line." I was like, "Oh great, you know, um, yeah, amazing, amazing." And uh, you know, and and uh, Michael Almereda, uh, who uh, worked with Cara, my brother, for quite a quite a few movies, beautiful movies. So he would have he would be in the kind of Jim Jarmusch uh, um, kind of school of of uh, when people were given budgets to these kind of dudes. Uh, there was an amazing kind of indie indie scene in, in, in New York at the time yeah Michael Al <coughs> Michael Almereda he actually yeah. went on and directed an episode of Deadwood mm-hmm. you yeah. know interesting yeah. interesting career did he do Hamlet as well he did yeah, yeah. so that a, would, a, a version of a version of was that with Ethan Hawke yeah and Car- your brother Carl Car- was Carl's in and that too yeah yeah um, and you know like a hustle a hustle like we all hustle like he just he finds projects and um, he'd be a kind of a almost like a film historian at this point so really? you know yeah yeah so he'd go off and do documentaries or, or whatever you know yeah yeah great uh, guy great I, guy I, like do you think did you ever do any auditions after that for movies or was there anything you might have thought or, or did you ever aspire to kind not, of or was it something no. you kind of did and went eh I was just happy to be asked and uh, I um, yeah just thinking about it now I mean I remember feeling very uncomfortable about what what like well how do I say these lines without I just it was me I, I, could, I couldn't act anything else you know yeah it's difficult yeah. enough to act like me you yeah, know yeah um, I had no aspirations I went straight back to straight back to gigs and wow the closest yeah. I got to it was I did a play I did a Beatles play nice. and I played Ringo yeah so I remember sitting at home watching episodes of Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> trying to right. get his voice right. Okay. 
but it was it was terrible yeah. it was just because we did a, we did a kind of a showcase on the stage the Olympia and it was kind of scenes and then we'd get up and play and it right. was kind of trying to go cool. through but the classic Beatles themselves what they did was that show kind of changed and was altered over the years and it did become a thing a okay. really really good thing but right. I was there and it was a great experience rehearsing just yeah. I loved it yeah. but it made me realise this yeah. acting thing is just it's a whole other mm-hmm. a whole other level Absolutely. I, think, I think a lot of people assume assume it's a uh, Assume it's easy. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, I know I know your your sister in law is it Laura, yes, who plays Lydia in Breaking Bad, That's which right, is really yeah. cool. I remember yeah. you said to me one day, I just got a text from her. She said she says she's back in Albuquerque, or yeah. or you know, because I think they were starting to do. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, better, better call so, sure. Which I just think is amazing. Oh my god, it's, it's unreal. Yeah, but. When I had a wee look at her IMDb, mm. what I didn't know was she plays one of the girlfriends in Kevin and Perry Go Large. Yeah. Sweet Jesus, yeah. I watched the scene where they're getting ready for a night out and they yeah. just do a squeeze and spots montage yeah. with these massive zits. On yeah. This. yeah. <laughs> and then and, and when, uh, when Train Spotting had come, there was a, a really cool, I think it was her first movie, there was a really cool Edinburgh gang kind of movie. Um, his name escapes me but that was her first and one of the guys from Trainspotting was in it and she plays a girlfriend or whatever that was her first kind of uh, first break um, for acting or whatever and then so Carl um, has really kind of stopped acting mm. and uh, has well he's written a book and he's writing his second one um, Montpellier Parade. Montpellier Parade, yeah, which Beautiful. I which I read. Yeah, I read it okay. like two years ago because you re- you suggested it to me. Ah, yeah, yeah. And I was in France and I read it and absolutely, yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was such a great story. And I yeah. remember, I could I could empathise with the kid, of course, because. I kind of was that kid myself, you yeah. know that that age where yeah. you're on the cusp of manhood uh-huh. and you kind of don't know who you are and you're tr- yeah. trying to grow up, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember you saying that this kind of part of you, you know, part of yourself is in that character. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, when we we were talking about it and Car was saying like, you know, I'm kind of putting this bit in and, you know, it's not supposed to be autobiographical. It's not supposed to be anything. It's it's a story, but you know you write about what you know and like the butcher shop and like we both had worked in as we weren't butchers apprentice because we didn't want to be a butcher but we worked in this little place mm. and uh and the characters that would come in and and um it's really um it's it's you know sunny and and that's a, like a reference to my mother was obsessed with sunny knolls so sunny we had an uncle son as well and uh so Sonny is Carl and I, um, absolutely. We're just kind of a place with no books and no kind of culture and no, you know, go to football and, you know, that was that was what was on offer. Anything else was viewed at with incredible suspicion and not for the likes of you, notions, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then so the school I went to, New Park, which was, you know, a little bit more progressive and a bit right on, you know, a bit... You know, I'd literally come from a school that were beating the shit out of kids to walking in and some teacher going, no, just call me Will, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really, uh, um, and my ma had, had, had brought myself and Carl in a pram and signed us up to this kind of interdenominational school. It didn't matter what kind of school it was. It was just, it was really close. So there was no, there was going to be no bus fare 
to worry about. So she signed Michael Zeph and Carl. And it changed everything because because that that school there were musicians and kind of I kind of used to call them kind of, you know, upper class thugs. There were guys kicked out of Brackrock College and, yeah. and whatever. So I was exposed to this there's people who weren't really talking about humdrum kind of stuff and, and whatever. Um so the so the book, Montpellier Parade is in Monkstown. Yes. Very kind of salubrious little area in Dublin. And Kiltis and Heron is down there. There's the whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of people that we, we would have known who lived there. And that was our escape. That was this 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 thing. So we, you know, when Sonny he goes off to the museum and he hasn't fucking clue what he what he's even supposed to do or feel about any of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's this kind of cultural poverty. This it isn't just just financial poverty. It's this kind of access to nothing. So when he meets Nora in the book, yeah, um, uh, beautiful, really, you know, beautiful book. Yeah, is it? It's kind of set what early eighties, yeah, late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, where things like the 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 idea that there's a job to be had and maybe a pensionable job in some in some warehouse is maybe about as good as you get, and you'd leave at uh, in third year and you'd yeah get an apprenticeship or do something. Well, because you're a bit from big family, no? Yeah, many many brothers and sisters. There was eight of us. Eight yeah. of you. Because I, I do remember in the book, there's elements of kind of not the brothers. Po- not poverty, yeah. but like you know, living in a house where there wasn't much, or yeah. you know, there wasn't yeah. much food, or, yeah. or maybe 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 I'm wrong. Maybe the 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 matriarch was there was always a dinner for you. Because I remember mm. living in a house in the early eighties. We don't furniture. Yeah. You know, we didn't have furniture for a year. Yeah. You know, it was constantly the sheriff on the door. Sure. You know, I'm surprised my mum still lives there. To be yeah. honest with you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which, yeah, it was a weird time. And funnily enough, here we are going into our third recession, right. you know, yeah. which is, which is quite, uh, quite daunting. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, mum, mum was always there. Um, there mightn't have been food, but she was always there, which, which I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for. It was something very, um, and, and also like the, the, the people around us, the people in the other, in the other houses or whatever, were in exactly the same boat, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was only actually when I went to Newport that I realised just how <laughs> how imperiled we were. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'd no, I'd no concept of it because no one else had concepts of it, of of money or whatever. You know? Yeah, and I mean, when you were in school, then what age were you when you picked up the guitar and started kind of playing? Or there was a guy who was a Beatle fan, um, a neighbour. Um, I remember. I, I think my sister, one of my sisters, maybe had come back with a sombrero and a Spanish guitar. You know, yeah. But just you know, not to play it, but just like that's probably at the airport. You know, yeah. you, you grab the guitar. So I remember just being very, just just enchanted by this this thing. Of course, I didn't know anyone who played. Yeah. You know, the Beatles have this gorgeous thing where they went off through Liverpool to find this guy who knew what a B7 chord was. They all went, George yeah. and John and Paul. And they got back on the bus and then, and he was like, Eagle, let's, and played the chord. And then they got back on the bus and, and B7 is kind of the, it's the concluding chord uh, for a song. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the, I'm back to the one, you know. Yeah. And uh, and they, they, it was like the magical chord that they've been given, you know. It's and amazing I, how valuable that information oh, was absolutely. when you were a kid. You absolutely. Know? So, so I, I, uh, 
I, I, I had a, I had a good ear for um, trying to pick out, and, and I think I'd bought a gone to Walton's and, and bought some chord chord books or whatever, and then just just went through kind of songs and and I was like oh it's that they're doing that thing again and we figured it out, um, but it was magical from the start and also it was very personal as well. It was it was something that I into the good room and and where no one went because it was the coldest room in the house you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd sit there and you'd and I'd, I I was writing songs from almost the, the moment I learned chords mm. and no one told me that I was allowed to do that or or that I could do that or whatever but that's what I was immediately doing yeah it was kind of amazing was know? there any kind of apathy towards that from other people ah what are you doing you know as you say in the pensionable job that <clears throat> you know leave school at 16 I mean, I mean just the, well, the idea that the idea that I, I was making some kind of statement that this was going to be my life um, I certainly wasn't making that statement or whatever but um, certainly by that point I was unteachable anyway uh, as far as kind of school and, and whatever yeah. I left school and and became a sponge. I left school and and started reading all the novels that I that I wanted and whatever. It was like yeah. well, it became a sponge for everything. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. kind of incredible. But uh, yeah, there there just wasn't there just wasn't any uh, there just wasn't any place I I seemed to be able to find that where it was into what I was into or whatever. And then and then that magical moment in in secondary school where. You, where you find heads, you find the, you find the guy who's playing guitar, you find the drummer, you, you know, yeah. they, they, they've, they've had the exact same journey as you. There's no, there's no need for a conversation about, well, this is what I struggled with. And, you know, yeah. um, it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, that's wild. Cause yeah. I was the same as yourself. I left yeah. school at 16. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I, I just remember being bullied by a kind of year master because he didn't like the idea that I, I refused to play rugby for the school because yeah. I was like well after school I practice with my band yeah. but I was gigging I was already like a year yeah. into gigging like every you know every week and yeah. so but this guy just took it upon him to really make my life a misery there's nothing yeah. worse than being chastised by someone in front of 30 other guys where you right. just want the floor to open up and, uh-huh. and it, you're actually being degraded Yeah, you know and I, I took you know, I, I that really upset me for a long yeah, time. Of course, you know, um, and I did actually speak to the headmaster of that school last year. I just rang up one day, yeah. and I was amazed at how compassionate she was. And mm. you know, and I was kind of saying, "You've no idea that I just had to leave this place for my own yeah. mental well-being." Yeah, you know, but just but just that conversation alone, the fact that you know, I mean, lots and lots of things have changed. Mm. There was this idea that you as a 16 year old are actually not allowed to make that call and who do you think you are yeah and and the idea that anything would be heard or done about it or someone would feel sorrow or compassion about anything you said about you know just you weren't listened to at all no 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 and and you're trying to seek out like-minded people because everybody else is into rugby or soccer or and none of that stuff rocked my boat you know like saturday morning going out and freezing forget it looking at these testosterone fueled morons (laughs) it was funny because i I was good i was good like all my older brothers were all really pretty handy at sport and and you know when they when all their knees had gone they're amazing golfers and, and whatever. And they, we just always had that capacity. But I was really good at football. Mm. Like I was that little smart arse who like put the ball between, between your legs and rather than running off, I'd go back and try and put it through your legs again. You know, that kind of yeah, yeah. smart arse or whatever. So I was, um, 
I was doubly confused because, you know, to have that kind of that capacity that I could, and I, I, it's probably something I've used throughout my life that I can. There's a there's a kind of a Woody Allen zealot in me. Um, I can I can be anywhere and and um, kind of survive it, you know, with the hint of vaguely vaguely just kind of turning into the, <laughs> you know, into the surroundings or whatever. Yeah, I, I can do that, and I think, um, you know, because I've been a solo primarily a solo musician or whatever i've got to get on a i've got to get on a plane i'm going to meet some guy at, a, at an airport on the other end wherever i am and from that moment till the time the tour is over i'm kind of on and adapting to what gets thrown at me like okay so you know the gig's on at eight then the elephant is on and then the stripper and then you're on again okay no problem you know or well this is the theater yeah there's it's sold out there's 500 people and you go sorry what you know so you adapt and you adapt and and um i'm sh- i'm sure i'm sure I, all of that i even going to new york was was this idea of, of acting as if we say you know just pretending like i knew what the hell was going on and not knowing anything yeah. and just making mental notes okay that's you know and i was exposed to you know guys who were quoting kind of movies and and lyrics and poems and whatever so i just sponged it all and just and just by osmosis i just i was surrounded by this stuff and i yeah. i just took it all in you know wow amazing amazing wow yeah so like i mean obviously what year did you go to the states early 90s 92 92 yeah. mm. but there was something about that around that time of going to america it was almost similar to you know you're off to find fortune and glory. I think so. You know, I think so. Because well, like ten years, ten years before that, I mean, you went and you did go to Queens and you did go to the Bronx, and you worked on building sites and whatever. Yeah. Um, which I ended, which I did absolutely. But but suddenly in '92, there was people living in the East Village, uh, Irish people setting up cafes, Carl and Shane and and. Uh, um, and music places so it wasn't the enclave it wasn't the the paddy on a building site anymore it was paddy actually opening a bar yeah um paddy opening you know some theater or whatever so it it had a bit of swagger to it you know um thank god yeah so so it was an extraordinary place to go and and shanae not only was it was it just the place around the corner with the lousy coffee but really cheap um it just the people that I was I was being introduced to, or just just being around, what was possible. Also, you could live in the East Village. My my rent was one hundred and fifty dollars. You know, yeah, yeah, which was a struggle to find because you know, like you were hustling in cafes and restaurants, and then doing a gig at night and a tip jar. You know, yeah, um, but incredible. I mean. I don't know how I did it, but but I did. And yet, people like Jeff Buckley, obviously, were kind of starting to emerge same time as yourself. And, I mean, he released an album from Sinead, didn't he? He did live with Sinead. And Cattell Kynig. Cattell Kynig was there. Um, Whatever happened to her? She's still. Playing? She's still. She might. She might be here. Yeah. She might be here, or maybe in the back in. Um, but there was a whole bunch of Susan McEwen from the Chanton House, and uh, but there was a, there was just. You know what I was astonished with, um, and and what two things kind of happened when I started playing, kind of a year or two or three into into playing, um, because it's New York, you have like 
you'll have a showcase at like six o'clock or seven where industry heads would see the new kind of haircut that was playing or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. But then seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, two, three, maybe four. A band every hour. Yeah. Forty minutes. Yeah. You got, right? And uh and Ian, Ian from the uh, the sugar uh, the sugar club, who you know the big geraniums, and so he he used to work in in Arlene's groceries. So I would I would show up at eleven, you know, maybe ten to eleven to do my gig because all I had to do was just plug in, tune up, plug in, and uh, he'd be sweating bullets in the middle of a summer heat wave, and and your audience would come for the forty minutes and leave with you. Yeah. You'd be out on the street with your equipment and you'd, you know, all right, man, see you later. Or if I had a drummer or a bass player, they'd be going to their next gig. Yeah. You know, maybe they had some kind of residency at two o'clock in the morning somewhere uptown or whatever. But what it, what it, what it taught me was like, just go in and just be with the armor and gig ready, you know. Um, and then I realized that if I went and, just kind of blazed away like the the loudest song I had on the first or second song or whatever, the audience would just rise in volume. If they weren't aware of me, which a lot of the time they weren't, the the, 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 the noise would just increase. So I, I started to get these kind of, um, these support slots with, uh, uh, in, in this place, Mercury Lounge. And uh, the woman, um, the booker kind of liked me and they liked me because I wouldn't touch anyone's shit. I would just be able to go in and just plug yeah. into the DI and whatever. So I opened for uh, extraordinary people. I opened for for sold out rooms every time in, in, in the Mercury and then the Barry Ballroom. They just yeah. brought me along. So like Midnight Oil, Joe Strummer, The Pretenders, the, you know, like, like insane. Yeah. Sitting in a little, sitting in kegs down in the basement with Joe Strummer uh, waiting to go on. He was going, you'd be grand, you, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure I even had a tuner. It didn't occur to me, though I just... Uh, tune on the uh, by my ear or whatever, but I'd walk out into that room, sold out room, waiting for a legend to come on, and I would go on. And it occurred to me very quickly. My instinct was like, play the quietest song you can. So it baffled them immediately. Suddenly, there's this, you know, is there someone on stage? You know, and the and the and the volume would get lower. And I knew I had these songs. I knew that I, if I was given an opportunity, I knew that I it, it would, it would have some kind of impact. I was I don't know where that, uh, you know, you know, confidence of the songs. Maybe not confidence in myself, but confidence in the, in what I was writing. Yeah. And uh, and then that became the thing. That's what I started to do. And that changed completely. So I had I had 40 minutes and I'd go and I'd just fucking like a laser, you know, and yeah. I'd be able to talk and I'd crack jokes. I was living in East Village confident, you know, yeah. confident and being able to make jokes about the madness of this town or whatever. And And that changed only when I started to tour on my own and come back to Ireland. And the reason it changed in Ireland was because I realized if I was doing a gig in the middle of Carlo or, or whatever, the night was mine. People had made the decision to come and do an evening with me. Yeah. Right. That's not 40 minutes. I freaked out when I realized like I've got 40 minutes and then 
I start to really kind of ramble and be kind of all over the place. Yeah. You know, I was great at that, you know, killer 40 minutes. Yeah. But the final reel, I just, I, I, I just, I, I had no experience of it. And suddenly realizing culturally, here I was, you know, Glenn was playing. There was a whole bunch of, like Jeff had been coming back and forth here. Suddenly I realized like I actually, there's a deeper level I need to go to here. Mm. There's a, there's a, there's a second half of this gig that I, that I need to, I'm blowing all my beans in the first 40 minutes. And then I've, I've nothing and the pace and the, and, and, and how to be okay with like quiet songs and how to make them just as memorable as, as what you think is, are the good songs that, that people are singing along with or whatever. Yeah. It was incredible. And I'll never forget it. I think it was in Cork or, or, or Galway or whatever. And realized that that I actually I didn't I didn't have this experience of because with people literally with their arms folded going all right that's forty minutes you know and now what yeah you know so I'd watched I'd watched you know like really great performers who kind of you know be it comedians or or musicians or whatever who just you know that there was no there was no fat no no gag in the middle for 20 minutes of just waffling on and, and then maybe an exit, you know, yes. um, it was incredible. I, those are, those are the, the two things I, I, I still remember. But it's great. I mean, the thing about those support gigs is you're the underdog. Yeah. So you're probably, you could be in a room where nobody knows you and it's yeah. that thing oh, of having absolutely. to win them over. Absolutely. I did, I did like so many support tours yeah. back in the late nineties and that was the thing you had 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that you've got to make, and, and yeah. you know, the band I was touring with, we just, we'd honed our act so well yeah. that we'd have them, the, the goal was to have them singing along in the first song. Yeah. And if you got them in the first song, that's it. Yeah. You won, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it was a real learning curve, but we were lucky because we had a few records out, so we could actually do the hour and a half. And yeah. the, you know what I mean? Yeah. The problem with doing a half an hour every night is by the time the main band's finished, you're pissed drunk. But, um, yeah, I like it. The Mercury Lounge, Arlene's, that's where I did all my first shows in, in New York sure. as well. I remember actually Arlene's, uh, I think my first gig in New York was there and I think the big geraniums were on. Yeah. And uh, the um, Blink maybe. Sure. You know, but yeah. it, but I still see that stuff in the Rockwood Music Hall, seven yeah. o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. There's yeah. a gig on every hour. Yeah. You just come in. I, I did a gig with Brendan. Right. Did a, but the last time I was in New York, he just yeah. said, come down. Oh, yeah. And just hopped up and yeah. did a half an hour yeah. with him. He no, he's great. a big Brendan, the master. And we, we, we've all kind of done that because like you're, there's this kind of understanding, there's a level of efficiency that you're going, well, you know, you're a drummer, so just follow me. I'll cue you, I'll wiggle my ass, I'll, I'll tell you when the chorus is coming or whatever. Yeah. And there's just, there's cats, you know, like those, those New Yorkers who, you know, the guy with the upright bass or whatever, who's got four gigs that night yeah. in, into the, sta- into the taxi or down into the subway. The, the trolley. They've Absolutely. all got their trolleys. You see Absolutely. them everywhere. Thanks, man. Hey, know? great gig, man. Great playing with you. And gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and Brendan, you know, we've all, we've all done that kind of thing of, you know, we'll do it for the vibe because you can't, you know, that the Bob Dylan has a line, you know, no place to stumble because you've got no place to fall, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a, a song will survive, you know, a little extra wink and a nod and, and whatever. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. great. Well, that's the thing. It's yeah. about listening. You're yeah. listening to everybody, sure. you know, sure. and being kind of generous to one another, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, how, like, 
I know there's no touring at the moment. <clears> so is it, is it something you still enjoy? Like, I mean, up to, up to oh when God. it kind of stops. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't make an, uh, I don't make apologies anymore. So, so I'm very clear about it. the wonderful thing about getting older that you go like, nah, nah, you're grand. I don't, I don't do that. You yeah. know, there's yeah. something really, really that you don't have to back it up. You don't have to give them a huge argument or whatever. No is a full sentence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, uh, so when I tour, I, I, uh, I make sure that I'm, I'm, I make sure that I'm, I'm taken care of because all I, all my focus is, is, is the show. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, it took me years to realize that, that, you know, if I'm going to be seven hours on a train going from the top of Italy to Campania in the, in the, in the bottom, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to need a room. I'm going to need all these kind of things. Also, you know, like, I'm a cheap date. I, you know, I'm a solo guy. <clears throat> if you can't, if if you can't throw me a decent hotel room and and food every night and and get me around places or whatever, this isn't much of a tour, and it's not something I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah. you know. So I'm very um, I'm very strict about what it is. If my gut tells me it's it's something a little bit dodgy and a bit kind of highway man, I, I'm not interested. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't say that I I don't get emails to you know listen. Would you come and and just let's see let's see how it goes. I know I can I know I can start a little fire there and then it becomes part of it becomes part of a uh, a touring roster that I'll that I'll do. Italy was was really in the last two or three years. I've probably done a hundred gigs there already. Really, yeah. Absolutely. Well, there's still a huge <clears throat> audience there. They're, they're, they're a great audience, the Italians. Incredible. And and very unique, you know. They're unique because, you know, there's, there's, there's you know, we, we have so much in common uh, with the Italians or whatever. But, but, you know, if there isn't a meal, no one's showing up. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you're not being fed. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's not a, it's not anything to be associated with. You know, that's well. That it's funny because you know you do see going to those countries. I've toured Italy as well, and there's always a meal. There's always a glass of wine. Do they still do that thing where like you hit the chorus and they start to applaud? Yeah. Do they? Do they do that? <coughs> yeah, yeah. For, I'd never seen that before. I yeah, was amazed. Very cool. It's very so cool. cool. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's the chorus. Really kind, yeah. of, kind, of, kind of Pavarotti moment when you're <laughs> yeah. when you're in the middle of your chorus and and there's a swell of kind of clapping. Um, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. And, and the further south you get, the more chaotic it gets. And actually, the more wonderful. Yeah. If, as I said, you know, if you're, if you're malleable, if you can, if you can roll with those punches, you, uh, because the, you know, the, the gig you sound checked at seven actually is happening at one o'clock in the morning. They just haven't told you yet. Yeah. 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 I, I hear you. I've, it's I've, brilliant. There's a it's lot brilliant. of guys running around shouting. I always know. Yeah. A lot of guys, yeah, yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't know who's yeah. in charge, but the minute you have yeah. a question, they're like, yeah. oh, well, he's got doing. seven, he's got seven gigs on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I went down, there was a place, uh, Capua. And uh, I knocked on the on the hotel door. They they gave me the address of where I was staying, and and the woman had gone away. Like the the hotel was closed. She had gone. She'd gone away for the weekend. Completely forgot about me. And I went with my bad Italian next door to this little bar, little those kind of you know stainless steel disco bars with holes four people. You know those kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. But there's coffee and maybe a donut and whatever. 
So I, 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 I get it. I get through to the guy and he said like, oh, no, no, she's gone. She's gone. And, uh, and of course he knows her. So he calls her up and, uh, and then they're, they're chatting away together and he goes, oh, it's no problem. No. So I end up staying in this guy's house, um, for the same money that I would have been paying, you know, whatever. And, and I said, but did she mention the fact that I was booked into that hotel? And I said, no, no, she, you know, never mentioned that, you know, and just fecked off for the, for the, for the weekend, you know. (laughs) Brilliant, absolutely. Oh brilliant. God, well, it's brilliant. funny because when I used to tour with Andy White, that was my first gig, and you'd okay. show up some night, and it would be a tip jar. And <clears throat> oh, by the way, lads, uh, we don't have any accommodation, mm-hmm. so you might need to, you know, we'd be chatting people look into after that. the gig. Look into that, yeah. And some dude would be like, "Yeah, man, I have a, I have a double bed there in my sure. office. Just there's the keys. Off you go." Yeah, it's amazing the generosity. Absolutely, you, you know, you, you experience. You know, yeah. I, I bring yeah. a lot of guys over from New York to do master classes here and gigs and stuff. I, I'm how <laughs> my. My uh, job as a small time promoter ended very abruptly last year when I lost a shitload of money on a gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just shows you how how hard it can be mm. to get bums on seats in yeah, Ireland as well. Absolutely. If I got excited about these guys from New York are badass and yeah. forty people yeah. show up, you're like yeah. you're kidding me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no? Any particular places you really just love going back to? Because I know you're you're kind of around that Italy, Switzerland, Austria. Yeah. Is it Caroline books the gigs? Caroline in, in yeah, Switzerland. Caroline Edwards, amazing lady. Um, so the last album, uh, they they have turbo turbo music. So they they do the um, the promotion for me there, and they do all the stuff. Switzerland's incredible. Um, and Germany, Germany, Austria, just extraordinary. Um, just enthusiasm for what we do, you know. I mean, if the roles were reversed, can you imagine talking about being a promoter? I have a German band, they're coming, Johnny, and we pick them up in Dublin. Um, you know, we'll go to Belfast or whatever. They sing in German and uh, we just hope that it'll, it'll go okay. Can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? And yet, and, yet, and yet I go to places, I, you know, in Eastern, Eastern uh, Germany and like just astounding their understanding of it and their enthusiasm and their knowledge of it you know so uh so that's that's incredible czech republic has always czech and slovakia has always been um just a magical little place for me um i just i made it i it's almost like you make a point of of trying to make this work you know learned a little bit of czech and and just to try you know yeah. acknowledge that I was there yeah. but historically in the Habsburgs and you know I'm a big history guy so you know all, all, all of that kind of played into it and uh, you know New York is uh, New York is a, is a spiritual home now it's it's um, some of my kids were born there um, I, I walking around the East Village which seems which seems you know, so utterly changed and 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 um, Kind of corporate and whatever. That's a that's a little. I birdie. can see a birdie behind yeah, you there, yeah, just yeah. feeding away. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They come every every. Uh, there's a whole nest uh, that I've been taking care of. Um, it's wonderful just when you sit and having your breakfast and he's tapping away. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, New York is incredible. I I uh, really got into uh, Portland and Seattle. Um, a very similar kind of vibe, just more space uh, of a New York maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, really love it there. Um, Portugal, Spain is amazing. You know, 
Um, but the truth is, and 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 I'm sure you're the same. If if you knew you were being taken care of, like I, I'd play in a dark room every night. It wouldn't. You know, it's no surprise that the the harder kind of places in the world are where all the the decent music came. You know, yeah, like the. You know how many great bands came from you know, you know, the Costa Brava. You know, it's 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 shitty places. It's ports. It's yeah. it's you know, Seattle and Dublin and Liverpool and New York and you know, so I, I'd happily happily play in in these darkened rooms once once the audience is there. Yeah, no question. Yeah, you know, so it's not even it's not even a thing of like, well, what's your favorite places? Will you actually my favorite places? are the places that really su- surprise me. You know, oh my God, I'm really, really, really going to struggle here. And they go nuts and you go nuts and you we go nuts together and it's just like, wow, what a fucking gig. Yeah. What a gig. That's you know? that's the bit we all miss. Uh, you know? Yeah. Fingers absolutely. crossed. Fingers crossed it yeah, comes man. back. You know what I mean? Ah, like, yeah. like, you know, like we were saying earlier, oh, I think we're probably optimistic to some degree. I think I it think can't so. be any other way. Yeah. yeah. I, f- I found it hard to just... Uh, just play really like I was saying to you I need to play with people yeah you know yeah Um. so yes well look fingers crossed I know we're talking for about an hour and 15 okay we can keep going if you want okay go on one thing well, yes, we're sir. always talking about movies okay great okay, you're probably one of the most serious movie buffs that I know wow so uh, let's we'll finish up okay. talking about okay first of all what's blown your mind recently um, community, yeah. Uh, uh, on Netflix, uh, it's been out a while. The guy who did Rick and Morty, Chevy Chase, in that, isn't he? Uh, Chevy Chase. But oh my god, I mean, it's just every every episode is just it's a it's a masterclass. Uh, Dan Harmon, who did Rick and Morty, do you yeah, watch it? Yeah, you know? yeah. So every uh, you know there are movie references that you just can't believe. The, the opening scene is the is the exact replica of the opening scene in the right stuff where the guy's running down the, the corridor. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's been a revelation. I just finished Perry Mason. All right, okay. Really, really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, it's a kind of a reboot with the prehistory before he becomes the lawyer. Uh, John Lithgow's in it. Um, really, really fantastic. This is a dude from uh, Boardwalk Empire, um, I really enjoyed it. It has a hint of Carnival. Uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a revivalist tent thing going on. I really enjoyed that. I under under pressure. Uh, I've just started. Now I, I have no opinion on it yet. But Dark, uh, the German. Yeah, I've heard about this. I haven't had a chance to start yeah, yet. Yeah. Uh, people just yeah. I just I just I, I it's my next uh, port of call. Uh, Perry Mason was amazing. I did. Um, what I do? It was kind of mad stuff. I did. Uh, uh, well, the the, um, the King of Staten Island. Is oh, I haven't seen it yet. Magnificent. Yeah, the Judd Apatow. Magnificent. Yeah, absolutely magnificent. Uh, Bill Burr, and uh, you know, it's just it's because it was a certain kind of uh, Apatow that that I I kind of there was something kind of ridiculous and frivolous about some of the stuff. I didn't care for. This is this is really it's a small little movie, but the dude is in it. His father um, did die in uh, in nine eleven or whatever. That's so, right. So, he was so, a firefighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this kid just just by way of dealing with it or whatever, by his own admission, uh, just starts getting all these tattoos and just like he's completely covered and whatever. And uh, 
and Steve Buscemi who obviously is a firefighter right, yeah. and, and whatever um, he plays the fire captain in, 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 the, in the local station really really enjoyable I did a, a Spaceship Earth this documentary did you hear about no, this? no 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 so in, in, in the early in the early 80s these seven scientists it was so funny they're like why it's why it's becoming it was made a documentary in the last kind of year or two um, they they sealed themselves into this biosphere for two years literally basically what we're, we're doing right now you know <laughs> uh, sealed themselves in and the idea was that they had to be completely sustainable and grow their own food that the whole biosphere was um uh, was going to support them, you know, oxygen from the plants, the plants would feed them, or whatever. And um, hugely controversial. So they really did it. It was it was in the early 80s, uh, mid 80s. And these scientists went and, and, and lived for, for two years. And there's a whole backstory of that. A lot of these guys were like hippies living in Haight-Ashbury and had come from that movement of, of kind of uh, theatre and, you know, art form and getting naked and then getting fucked up and whatever so it was amazing amazing documentary that's that's coming out I I, I, I spent more than more than you should of of, of monies kind of pre-watching these uh, yeah yeah so it was a couple of them that I just I had to I had to see um, what else did I I, I I watched this this whole thing about New York versus the mafia uh, Giuliani and whatever okay. it's uh, it's it's goodish. I mean, there's a couple of goombas, and they're all kind of like, "Hey, forget you," <laughs> you know. But Giuliani, when he actually had a brain, was half sane, as in this. And and uh, I still remember playing in in some of the clubs that were kind of um, connected you know? by the wise guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, connected. And uh, so so it's a lot of that. Very interesting, kind of seventies, eighties about the power of the of the mafia. Uh, um. Yeah, so Perry was exciting. I, I watched so much. I did uh, just an abundance of, of 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 films. I've gone back and did a whole Ken Loach uh, collection. Um, you know, you know the thing that that was the obsession for quite a few months was Wolf Hall. Okay, yeah, Hilary yeah. Mantel. Yeah. So her last book just came out, the, the the Mirror and the Light, and then I went back and watched uh, the BBC with Mark Rylance, who I think is maybe one of my favourite living actors. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I his portrayal of Cromwell, um, and the relationship between between him and Damien Lewis is is uh, Henry. Yeah, uh, it's and Claire Foy is in it. I mean, yeah. it's just. I I keep going back to just that that level, the quietness, and just like how little Rylands actually does, and is utterly eclipsing everyone else in the room. He has that very understated thing going on, doesn't he? Well, just he? the intensity. I mean, I mean the, the the Mantel books or whatever. I did all of them. Bring up the bodies is the third, uh, the second one, and I mean it's extraordinary writing. Uh, but just he's in peril as he is climbing the ladder. He keeps talking about, you know, as he gets closer to Henry, Henry becomes, you know, his absolute kind of patron and he gets more and more powerful and, and is enriching himself. Absolutely. Yeah. But at, at the behest of Henry and Henry wants the impossible. He's already executed his fucking wife, his wife. you know, <laughs> uh, so then which, one, which one? Anne Boleyn? Anne Boleyn was, 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 was that executed. the one that was executed? Yeah. yeah. But then he disowns Catherine. Catherine of Aragon um, was his first after 20 years and the no heir. 
because that's what it's all about. That's the that's the only game in town. You know, yeah. if you don't give me a son, son. If you don't have a son. You're you know. So 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 uh, uh, Cromwell's Cromwell's sole job, and of course you you have, you know, you've Rome. You know, the absolute kind of the speaker of the world is telling you we're excommunicating you. So we just just as a as a kind of historic fiction, I guess is is the kind of um, what it, it's under. So she she's giving you a kind of a pretty accurate idea of, of what might have been said and the, and the arguments and whatever. Yeah. It is, it's just extraordinary. So, so Cromwell's in an impossible situation. You know, there's almost certainly going to be a war with France. It's all about trying to get allies. It's all about, and Rome is excommunicated you. Now you're, 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 you're stealing monasteries and abbeys and taking money, you know, to yeah. keep, to keep Henry rich yeah. and to keep him, within his love affairs like that's your you know yeah but he keeps talking at the very end he keeps going you know you know you're you're close to you're close to this godhead on earth and all you're looking at is his claws is how she writes it yeah incredible like, oh my god the claws you know yeah, yeah I'm guilty I haven't watched it and I, I know it's been on my radar or on my list for a long time yeah I mean it really is it really is an all shot of natural light which is a little little throwback to kind of Barry Kubrick. Lyndon, oh, absolutely kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Which yeah. I which I watched again. Yeah, uh, about a week or two ago. Oh really? Because yeah. that what I found with it, even when I'm talking, is everybody's. It's like comfort food. Mm-hmm. We've all been going. Oh, I'm going to watch that series again. I'm going to yeah. watch that movie again. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. What what you know? What's what's the kind of stuff that you see that comes on that you're like I've seen this movie five hundred times, but I'm going to watch it again. So any of those kind of movies that you just. Well, I, I don't think I've ever turned off a Godfather halfway through when I I'm going through the channels. Yeah, because you just see, just you go like, yeah, it's it's this comfort of performance and Pacino and and, and whatever. A lot of people had a hard on about uh, how long the Irishman was. I, I thought it was great. Absolutely adored it. Oh, it was great. I absolutely adored it. And I thought like, okay, so apart from that hilarious kind of, you know, when De Niro takes the shopkeeper out and tries to beat him up. Yeah, yeah. yeah when, he does, when he does that 78-year-old kick, yeah, yeah. Uh, which yeah, is really, yeah, really yeah, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. But but I thought, you know, and I, I even went to, uh, I went to see it because I, I love the Lighthouse cinema. And I went, I went to see it twice in the Lighthouse. And uh, just the idea that... I, we're not going to see those guys on a screen again. No, you know, well, at least at least one of them. You figure, Pesci or, or he's done. Or, you know, he's well, done. Well, he was dragged back from retirement. Was, or whatever. Yeah. And I love I love Pesci, and I just thought it was such an understated compared to like what I always what I always go back to actually with 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 that kind of stuff is. Um, I think uh, I think Casino is a is a really really fabulous movie. Hmm. Um, Utterly vicious and really distressing, and and Goodfellas has a bit of humour to it. Yeah, and and there's a there's a charm and a kind of a giddy that you kind of go like, yeah, you be a gangster for as long as I can remember. I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah. You kind of enjoy it. There's something so utterly repellent and nasty and kind of druggy about Casino. Yeah. But I think I think it's I actually think it's 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 equal. 
I think a lot of people think it's seen as the better movie out yeah. of the two, and I have to say, Sharon yeah. Stone, oh. greatest performance of her career. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? I mean, the, all of them. The hiding Joe Pesci gets. Oh, stop. I, I mean, you, you, the, the, that you know that's coming, is, <laughs> and, and it's the viciousness. It was like, a, like this guy's your friend, and just fucking kill him. Does it have to be so so nasty you know yeah. there was a kind of a viciousness to uh to to all of that but uh, but something like that i'll just i'll just immediately go back to just because it's just it's the, the the whirling camera work and just the uh just great storytelling and 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 i think the irishman has all of that i actually you know i hear you i hear you paint houses you know it's just fabulous yeah. and, and and also the reveal um i don't think a, a whole lot of people were were so aware that just how crazy Hoffa was, you know, within himself of how how dangerous he was making his own life because the more he kept talking and the more powerful he kept saying he was, the more irritated the mob were getting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, really weren't aware that 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 the day ended his uh his career, you know. Yeah. It was funny because I was listening to uh, Edward Norton talking about Motherless Brooklyn. I don't oh, know if yeah. you saw Motherless yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. And again, the similar themes where, yeah. you know, post-war, mm. you kind of had the baby boom, you know. But once it got to like this, you know, you just had the, power was the new currency. Yeah. You know, and I think America ultimately became corrupted by that. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. became the bully. Yeah. And it's such a shame and you can kind of see its true mm. colours now just, yeah. well, I mean... Watergate and Vietnam, kind of that—that yeah. that was the beginning yeah. of it all, really. Well, well, just that, that idea that there were people who were able to, because of their own privilege, were able to sit in a room and and kind of decide a tilt or a direction that a country, an entire country, was going to go in, um, psychologically or politically, or it was going to lean one way or the other or whatever, and that they were actually going to be the masters of that. They were yeah. actually going to going to going to decide which way it was going to lean and, and uh, that that's extraordinary you know absolutely gentlemen you can't fight in here yeah. this is the war room <laughs> yeah. right right you know? yeah yeah oh jeez <laughs>